Suzanne Morphew's remains have been located three and a half years later by a complete accident. The Delphi murder prosecutors respond to the defense's motion. Rex Heerman appears in court. A 30 under 30 tech, well, she won't make 30. A fruit of the poisonous tree example. And then our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. It is September 27th already. Can you believe that? Well, let's go ahead and get to today's docket. In some unexpected news, Suzanne Morphew's remains have been found. That's right. Suzanne Morphew's remains have been found three and a half years after she vanished after going for a bike ride on Mother's Day. Now, the uh, Colorado mom of two was reported missing from her home in Chafee County back in May of 2020. Investigators revealed that they found her body in Moffat, uh, Saguchi County, while probing for a separate case. No arrests have been made since the remains were located, and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation has confirmed that the remains are, in fact, that of Suzanne Morphew. Quick recap, back in May of 2021, a year after Suzanne disappeared, her husband, Barry Morphew, was arrested and charged with her murder despite police not having found her body. Well, last year, prosecutors dropped all charges against Morphew after a judge sanctioned the district attorney's office for discovery violations. And after Barry Morphew was uh, charged with the murder and the case against him progressed, authorities revealed quite intimate details about their married, married life. Police said that the pair had a tumultuous marriage, with the suggestion being that he might have killed her out of jealousy or to stop her from filing for divorce. But last year, District Attorney Linda Stanley dropped all charges without prejudice, which means that they could be refiled again because the statute of limitations has not run. Now, it'll be interesting to see what Barry Morphew has to say about this. I'm sure he's a little surprised, probably just as surprised as the investigators in this case were since they weren't even looking for Suzanne Morphew's remains and they found them while they're out looking for somebody else's. Now, I would note that every time I fly over this particular area, I look down and think to myself, huh, the prosecutors say they knew where her remains were. They were just waiting for the snow to melt. Well, apparently they didn't know. Well, I'm glad that the remains of Suzanne Morphew has been located for her family. And now we'll see what comes next. Will there be charges? Well, they're not. Have to wait and see. Next on the docket, the Delphi murder prosecutors respond. The Carroll County prosecutor, Nicholas McClelland, has responded to Richard Allen's defense attorney's 136-page memorandum. Affidavit for the search warrant were lies, and therefore none of the evidence should come in at trial, and that Richard Allen is completely innocent. We read the first, I don't know, 36 pages last night on our live show. Gives you a lot of information. Well, let's just say the prosecutors are not impressed. Obviously, the defense wants the search warrant to be thrown out, um, and they laid out a quite different alternative theory that the Delphi murders were a result of the ritualistic sacrifice uh, that involved Abigail Williams and Liberty German because of this pagan cult. Now, you have to admit, it's pretty well thought out and it's pretty well documented. Is it going to fly? to be determined. Anyway, the prosecutor fired back in his court filing by calling the alternative theory a fanciful defense 
for social media to devour that isn't supported by the evidence. There were a lot of exhibits attached and a lot of deposition references in the information that we read. It is 136 pages long and it is footnoted pretty well, I might add. Is it true? I don't know. Is it a good theory? Eh, it may work. Good lawyering if it's going to all come in. Anyway, uh, McClellan uh, tore into the defense's entire 136-page uh, motion, calling the large filing colorful, dramatic, and highly unprofessional. Uh, chief among the defense attorney's uh, targets was a search warrant served by investigators on Richard Allen's home back in October of 2022, and the defense accused Sheriff Tony Liggett of lying about key information in order to have the search warrant signed by the judge. That's the whole basis of a Franks hearing is that there were lies, misrepresentations, reckless disregards for the truth. And if you take out those lies, would the search warrant stand? Like I said, we'll have to wait and see what the judge rules. Any good motion is only as good as the judge that it is in front of. While the prosecutor responded that Liggett did not intentionally or recklessly admit evidence or lie about evidence in the probable cause affidavit filed with the court to gain the search warrant. The prosecutors defended the search warrant by stating that all relevant information to justify a search of Richard Allen's home came from interviews with Richard Allen and his wife. The prosecution said that he admitted on his own accord to being on the trails uh, the day that Abby and Libby were killed, also describing the clothing he was wearing to the investigators, which prosecutors say matched the suspect captured on Libby German's cell phone video. Investigators also knew a firearm may have been involved in the murder of the girls due to the unspent 40 caliber round being found between Abby and Libby's body. Now, Richard Allen told investigators that he owned a gun of the same caliber. But you may have to recall, under the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution, the evidence needed to obtain a search warrant need not rise to the statute of facts necessary to obtain a conviction. The circumstances alleged in the affidavit need only lead a person of reasonable caution to believe that a crime has been committed. The prosecutor's not wrong on that one. Anyway, McClellan said investigators also worried that if a search of Allen's home was not conducted immediately, there was a risk that Allen would destroy any potential evidence in the house. The investigators believed through their training and experience that there were real chances that the defendant would destroy evidence once he knew he was now the suspect of the crime. Gonna be interesting. I hope they televise that hearing. Next on the docket, the Gilgo Beach murder. A DNA sample from the accused Gilgo Beach serial killer, Rex Heuerman, linked him to at least one of the women he is accused of killing 13 years ago and to a pizza crust that helped crack the cold case. Now, prosecutors uh, articulated this in court on Wednesday. Now, Heuerman submitted the uh, court-ordered swab last month with the Suffolk County prosecutors now saying that the sample matched DNA from a pizza crust found outside his Midtown Manhattan office back in July of this year, which matched a hair found on the body of the Gilgo Beach victim, Megan Waterman, back in 2010. Now, the DNA on the discarded crust had previously been tied to Heerman's estranged wife, not him directly, until now, according to police and prosecutors. Now, the surveillance team also had observed the pizza box and were confident that uh, there was DNA uh, profile that would be consistent with the defendant because he left the material inside the box. Our prosecutors also noted that the buckle swabs just erased all doubts that it could be somebody else. Now, the architect was able to uh, wear civilian clothes to court today, 
which is very odd. I don't know where this is coming from. Every court I've ever been to never has a defendant worn clothes pre-trial. They always wear their jailhouse garb until they get to trial. That's it. I don't know where this trend is coming from. Most sheriff's departments will tell you we don't have the time or the resources to have people changing out to civilian clothes. Maybe you just got to get a high-profile case, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, like I said, he appeared in court for, for this uh, hearing. Obviously, he's accused of uh, killing a Miss uh, Waterman, uh, Miss Bartholomew, uh, Miss Cost- and Miss Costello. He's also the prime suspect in a fourth woman, a uh, 25-year-old woman by the name of Maureen Brainerd Barnes with all the victims. All are former known sex workers who were collectively referred to as the Gilgo Four. Now, Hureman only spoke once during the uh, court proceeding, telling the uh, court that he had been able to review the evidence submitted by the prosecutors uh, two or three hours at a time from behind bars. Outside of the courtroom, Hureman's lawyers disputed the importance of the alleged match from his client's DNA swab. There is nobody on the face of this earth that is credible is going to say that their hair is my client's hair, according to Mr. Hearman's defense attorney, Michael Brown. It is impossible under scientific standards, he said. What they can do is say he could potentially be a donor for the hair, but so could thousands and thousands of other people just in the area. So take that for what it's worth. The attorney for Mr. Hearman also replied to earlier comments from the sheriff that Hearman had shown no emotion after his arrest, saying that he had advised his client Don't let anything upset you. Just be stoic. And so Mr. Heerman's attorney said he's doing exactly what I told him to do. Now, good advice from the attorney. He shouldn't, the client shouldn't act surprised, shocked in any way. Just the way it is. But somebody always reads something into that. The only thing they should read into it is what comes in at court, which is legal and competent evidence. Next on the docket, a 30 under 30 uh, tech whiz. Well, she's not going to make it to 30. The body of the Baltimore tech entrepreneur found beaten to death on Monday in her luxury apartment complex was discovered on the roof of the building. Now, Pava LaPierre, the 26-year-old founder of EcoMap Technologies, was killed, according to police, by blunt force trauma. The police have also issued an arrest warrant for a man by the name of Jason Billingsley. He's 32. And he was just happened to be recently released from prison a year ago after serving only nine years of his 30-year sentence, ladies and gentlemen. That's less than a third, if you think about it. Welcome to criminal justice these days, ladies and gentlemen. The legislators jacked up the possible penalties so high that everybody knew they weren't going to be followed. So now they're eligible for parole, literally, unless it's a crime of violence, literally at 25% of the actual sentence. So just tell everybody this is what you're actually going to serve. But they don't. Anyway, Miss LaPierre's uh, badly beaten body was found on the roof of her luxury apartment, as I noted. Now, reaching that area would have been potentially uh, difficult for somebody, and they would have had to have climbed a ladder or a fire escape. That little twist raises the possibility that LaPierre was either led up there before she was attacked or that her body was somehow discarded on the roof to hide the crime. Like I said, it was a secure building, according to people that worked there, and someone had to have allowed the individual into the building. That's according to the uh, police commissioner. Now, Mr. Billingsley is now believed to also struck days earlier in a knife point sexual assault and arson attack that left two people fighting for their lives. 
Uh, he faces charges now of first-degree murder, assault, and reckless endangerment in the killing of Miss LaPierre, a rising star in the tech area who made the prestigious Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Now, Mr. Billingsley, a six-foot-four, 305-pound man, has been jailed, like I said, for 30 years back in 2015, but was released in October of 22, just nine years after the sentence was imposed. It's unclear exactly why he was released so quickly. Now, Miss Pierre, like I said, was noted, was found Monday morning on her apartment building con- complex with blunt force injuries that uh, one officer described as absolutely brutal, some of the worst that he's seen. Police described Billingsley as a repeat violent offender and as a suspect in at least one other case. The uh, Baltimore Police Department Special Investigation Section is working to determine potential connections between Billingsley and the other cases. Hey, let's talk about what happens when the police screw up and the fruit of the poisonous tree. All right, so Floyd Galloway Jr. stands accused of one count of premeditated murder in the first degree regarding a December 26 abduction and slaying of a woman by the name of Danielle Dislicky. We'll just go by Danielle, whose body had never been found. Now, in a decided blow to the prosecution, several pieces of evidence will never see uh, a jury. Long considered a suspect, murder charges were filed against the defendant in March of 2019 after the Michigan Attorney General took over the case. The Farmington Hills Police Department had considered Galloway a person of interest from early on in their investigation due to his former position as a contracted security guard at the MetLife building where both Stislicki and her mother worked. He is also said to be one of the last people seen the victim before she vanished. Now, Galloway took a lie detector test back in 2016 on the advice of his then attorney. Bad news. Anyway, the polygraph operator was a former FBI agent by the name of James Hopp. Afterward, apparently distressed by what he learned, Hopp called then Troy Police Chief Gary Mayer and told him several things about the case. Highly damaging to Mr. Galloway, needless to say. The information was then relayed by mayor to the Farmington Hills Police Chief, Charles Nebus. A caller said the security guard did it. Nebus wrote on a tip sheet during the phone call with mayor. He drove the victim's car from his house in Berkeley to her apartment, then walked to Tim Hortons at 10 and Halstead where he called Shamrock Cab or something like that. That sounds like Shamrock where he received a cab ride within walking distance from his car where it was parked. Now, the uh, police chief um, was also told that Stislicki's Fitbit and keys should be found in a grassy area near the coffee shop. Police, in fact, did find the evidence and some more. And based upon the game of telephone hop played with Mayor and Nevis, the police also recovered what the court described as surveillance footage of defendants' movement on the night of Stislicki's disappearance. Now, according to the tip, Galloway threw Stislicki's cell phone into a trash can at Tim Hortons and disposed of her body in a beige and brown comforter. The phone was also never recovered. But none of the evidence, the Fitbit, the keys, the surveillance footage allegedly showing Galloway near the disposed of items of testimony can ever be used against him if he goes to trial. Now, prosecutors knew or should have known that the genesis of the tip to Nevis by early 2017 and never tried to mitigate the breach of the attorney-client privilege the Court of Appeals determined. Because remember, 
The attorney hired the polygrapher, the former FBI agent who called the cops about what he learned. Total breach of attorney-client privilege. That polygrapher should get sued to end of eternity for violating that trust. You just don't do that. Anyway, the court noted the issue was all but ignored until the attorney general took over the case back in 2019. And the judge in that case suppressed the evidence and any potential evidence that might be gathered from the potential recovery of Stislicki's cellular phone in an order issued in November of 2022. The appeals court reigned in the trial court for the cellular phone evidence, reasoning that her order was somewhat too broad since the phone had not been found. Otherwise, the trial court's rare suppression order was affirmed for violating Galloway's due process rights. Mayor, in particular, knew better, the court said, and despite objective awareness that Hop's tip was protected by attorney-client privilege, the police immediately turned the privilege information over to the investigating agency with the expectation that the police would investigate the tip and recover important evidence before it could be lost or destroyed by inclement weather. This is precisely what occurred and Nebus rallied his troops. The location identified in the tip were searched. The police found Stislicki's keys and the Fitbit and evidence regarding the defendant's movement on the night of her disappearance, which was all discovered. And then the court reasoned, one set of local law enforcement cannot benefit from another agency's bad actions. Allowing the evidence derived from mayor's misconduct to be used at trial on the basis that the police's good faith would be completely undermine the exclusionary rule, the court noted. Rather, the deterring police misconduct, such as ruling, could actually encourage misconduct where police officers could use information obtained in violation of attorney-client privilege as long as Mayer never revealed the source. We concluded that the trial court erred by excluding the evidence derived from Mayer's disclosure of the privileged information. Now, Galloway is currently serving prison time for a attempted sexual assault and kidnapping in a separate case from 2017, but it doesn't look like he's gonna have to worry about his murder case anymore. Now, normally I'd get it, get the bad guy, give him his fair trial, what have you. But when that polygrapher who's working for the defense attorney told that to his buddy who's the police chief, who tells them the police chief, hey, this is where you need to look, that can't stand. I, It just, it can't stand. That polygrapher should be sued to the end of eternity uh, never uh, use the polygrapher ever again. I'm telling you, it's junk science anyway. Don't put any stock in it. Finally, our dumb criminal of the day. A Florida drug dealer who was uh, illegally selling marijuana uh, set up his own supply when he called police to complain that the customer had stolen $10 from him. Please meet Eric Thomas. He is dumb. He um, obviously appreciate his uh, faith in law enforcement when uh, he called police in reference to a theft. But uh, once the police made contact with him, he stated he was selling marijuana and someone stole $10 from him while he was attempting to sell it. Like who wouldn't be outraged, right? Anyway, sadly, the uh, victim, they had to inform him that the sale of is still illegal in the uh, Sunshine State, and so is possession of the cocaine that they found on his wallet that they found search incident to his arrest. That's right. He had 11 baggies in his pocket while walking up to the officers, according to the arrest affidavit. Yes, sir. That's right. You, Mr. Eric Thomas, you are dumb criminal of the day. 
Congratulations, you made it. Um, <laughs> a drug dealer calling the police to say he got stiffed on $10 only to be found with more drugs in his pocket, a much more serious drug. He deserves to go to jail, at least for the night or two. My God, he is so dumb. I hope his friends never, ever let him live that down. Mr. Thomas, I'm never going to let it down. I may bring up your story every day for the next week just to ridicule you and mock you because that is dumb. All right. Thanks for watching. I want to thank everybody for joining us last night. I thought it was a very good show. Um, Delphi, we're going to have to watch this one. It needs to be televised. Let the truth come out. Whatever it is, I don't know. All right. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.